Our text for this morning is the same text for our music camp for this next coming week. I hope you'll all show up in the fellowship hall during the Sunday school hour next Sunday as we hear this text. Luke chapter 10 verses 25 through 37. Hear the word of God. Just then a lawyer stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, what is written in the law? What do you read there? He answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said to him, you have given the right answer. Do this and you will live. But wanting to justify himself, he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell into the hands of robbers who stripped him, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down the road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, while traveling, came near him, and when he saw him, he was moved with pity. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, having poured oil and wine on them. Then he put him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper, and said, Take care of him, and when I come back I will repay you whatever more you spend. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? And he said, the one who showed him mercy. Jesus said to him, go and do likewise. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. A man fell into the hands of robbers who stripped him, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. We are not surprised by this. It sounds like the breaking news we ingest moment to moment. A full diet of our existence under random attack. It doesn't add up. It makes no sense. Fear is our go-to. Oh, fear, where can I go from your spirit? Oh, fear, where can I flee from your presence? If I go to the 4th of July parade, you are there. If I go to the elementary school, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning, which I am not, and travel to Japan and Ukraine or Haiti or Congo or the farthest reaches of the sea, even there fear will cover me. We know, and Jesus knows, random violence doesn't make any sense, doesn't add up. But we spend 24 hours of news every day on it. And Jesus spends half a sentence. A man fell into the hands of robbers who stripped him, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. Jesus devotes two sentences to speak about people, religious people, who see the tragedy of the situation a man left dead on the side of the road, they see it and they do nothing. Which is the crime that is often most leveled against Almighty God. When tragedies happen, why on earth would a loving God do nothing? 
Why on earth would an all-knowing, all-seeing, everywhere, all the time, allow this awful thing to happen, God? It doesn't add up. God is either not paying attention, doesn't care, or doesn't exist. And Christians really do not have a great answer for the problem of suffering. Really, the only best answer that we can give is to say that God, God suffers. Perhaps the best answer we can give is that when we sacrifice and suffer for those who suffer, that is what is most beautiful. I'll get to that in a minute. But for now, Jesus wants us to see in just two sentences what happens when people who live into one side of their calling and only one side of the calling, they have the title priest or Levite or baptized Christian, a title that says, I believe in God, lovely, lovely indeed. But you just can't pick one side of your job description. You need the whole thing. That's the ugliness of Uvalde. People who were supposed to live into their calling did not. They looked the part. They had the uniforms. They had the badge. They had the job description. They just didn't live out the job description. And it's a tragedy. Jesus gives us a couple sentences about the tragedy. He doesn't explain why they didn't stop. We don't know why, but I think we know why. Because I got a session meeting at the church at 7, and they've asked me to pray because blood isn't my thing, because it's too dangerous, because I can't be late to pick up the grandkids because I'm not equipped, because I'm better at thoughts and prayers. It's an answer, but it doesn't add up when you're the one who is bleeding. A half a sentence to the violence, two sentences to those who are called to do something and do nothing, but the attention really in this whole story, as I said before, is to that which is most beautiful. When someone lives, sacrifices, suffers for someone else, that is most beautiful. That is eternal life. I know a lot of people think of eternal life as getting their ticket punched for the pearly gates, and where, upon entering, they believe that they will be handed a club and a golf ball. That's all you need. Try it. Just one club. That's all you need. Try it. And sure enough, get up to the first tee. One club, one swing, boom, and into the hole it goes. Your swing is the same, but now when the ball ricochets off rock, tree, rake, and lake, the miracle of all miracles is every time in the hole. Par three or par five, one swing, heaven. You come back into the club saying, you'll never guess what I scored. And everyone in the clubhouse says, oh, we know what you scored. For we have all scored the same. Every day, we all score the same. The ball just goes into the cup. 
every day. That's eternal life, but it isn't heaven. Not when it goes in every single time. Eternal life is that thing that doesn't add up. It doesn't make sense. It is not easy, but it is beautiful. Jesus describes the beauty sentence upon sentence. He points us to the person who interrupts the agenda of the day for the one who is bleeding. Stops. Stops. Sees and goes. Pours wine and oil upon the wounds, binds the wounds, lifts the man onto his animal, walks alongside, finds an inn, checks into a room, and takes care of him. It's one act of love upon another. And there's no calculation to it all. It's just time and money and I don't care what other people think. Just hold in. And you all need to be like that. In fact, if you're taking notes today, and I know you are, uh, please write that down. I need to be like that. I hope you're like that. Because I can't be like that. I'm too calculating. When I'm driving in my car from time to time with my wife, Beth, she can spot a lost dog at a thousand feet and 70 miles an hour. She just sees, honey, she'll shout, what? We have to go back. There's a doggy. The doggy's on the side of the road. He looked lost. Now, the eternal thing to do would be to make the U-turn and then make the U-turn again, come up onto the side of the road slowly, flashers, slowly, slowly, slowly. There he is. Get out of the car, down the embankment that's filled with Lyme disease and copperheads and poison ivy. To search for that lost soul, who upon finding will greet me with a wag of a tail and a lick on the cheek. The eternal thing to do is to pick up that quivering soul, pick it up and bring it back to the car where the lost soul is instantly named Lucky. Lucky. Which means we now have a dog. And sure enough, Lucky, what a perfect name, becomes part of the family. A gifted dog with a clear sense as to the gift of its own salvation that has come its way. And in almost magical ways, that little rascal brings out the best in everyone he meets. Everyone in our family, all our neighbors, even John Bailey is transformed into someone who's quite, quite enjoyable to be around. Lucky becomes a great source of sermon illustrations and then is featured in my first children's book, which is so popular that it becomes a cartoon character with a whole to toy line making me filthy, filthy rich. 
Such is the joy of a dog who lives into the calling of knowing its own salvation and loving God and neighbor. It's quite beautiful. But as I was saying, I can't do it because it doesn't add up. It's time. It's stopping the agenda. It's thistle and snake and thorn and dog bite and rabies shots. It's a mess. I can't stop the car. Can you stop the car? We need to stop the car. Because we're on the highway to hell. Violence occupies 99% of the scenery these days. The radio is turned on full blast and is full of anger and frustration and bigotry and insanity. And you have come to hear the word of God in the midst of all that. And the word of God is this. But the man stopped, made a U-turn, sacrificed his own time, sacrificed his oil, his wine, his time, lifts a man up onto an animal, which can be no easy thing, takes him to an inn and takes care of him. But now Jesus says the man has to leave. Where do you suppose he's going? Do you think he'll ever get there? Or do you think in a world full of violence, his life is just going to be spent doing the same thing over and over and over and over again? Binding the wounds, lifting him up, healing the presence. It's a life that would not add up. You could never get on to life. You'd just be caring and sacrificing and loving. That's, well, it doesn't add up. He'll never make the destination unless the destination's already arrived, unless that's what you call eternal life. Jesus says a man has to leave the inn. He puts the man in the hands of the innkeeper. Imagine being the innkeeper. He says to you, I have to be gone. Here's a couple days wages. Take care of him. And if you run out of money, I'll repay you upon my return. You happen to know that the man handing you the money is a Samaritan, which means he comes with a lot of baggage. We all know our Samaritans. And yet this Samaritan has come into your life. He's come into your inn. And you've watched him because that's what you do. You watch, you make sure, because you can't ever trust a Samaritan and you watch him. And yet, he seems like he goes out, comes back from Walgreens with a bag that's full of ointments and Advil and bandages you watch him and he, he goes up to the room with another glass of ice water you watch him he goes up to the room with some hot soup you watch him 
And now that Samaritan has paid you to do the same. If you run out of money, I'll repay you on my return. How many days will you go after the money runs out? How many days would you go of caring? Knowing you, you'll just keep going. You'll just keep caring. And people, people will take note. They'll say, seriously? They'll say, the one who's showing mercy is a Christian? A follower of that one who says he'll return? (laughs) He's never going to return. Oh, he'll return. This is our story. That in the days of Caesar Augustus, when the world thought Caesar Augustus ran the world and Quirinius was governor and it was all about politics and war and violence, there was one who showed up to show mercy. And he handed that over to another. And that one showed mercy, who handed it over to others. And they showed mercy, 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 and they showed mercy. Wow. So many, you couldn't add them up. But it all adds up to eternal life.